This is our second session on Colossians 1, 13 to 14. I know last time I misprinted this and put 20, but I meant to have 1, 13 to 14. So we're going to do, I think, three sessions on this, this one and then one more before we move on. And the one we're going to do next time is how do we become experientially part of this? What do we have to do, if anything, in order for this to be true of us? Last time, you remember, we focused on who God delivered us from the authority of darkness, and he transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So, out of one authority into another authority, the authority of darkness or Satan's realm, and into the authority or kingdom of the Son of God whom he loves. And I posed the question, how did he effect that? How did he do the delivering? How did he do the transferring? And the answer is here and in a passage a few verses later. In whom, that is, in this Son, we have redemption, comma, somehow relating redemption with the forgiveness of sins. So, Father, as we try to understand the glory of this word, redemption, the magnificence of this reality, forgiveness, and how it relates to this deliverance and this transfer, shed your light upon our thinking, I pray. Make Christ the great deliverer, the great transferer in the hands and in the plan of the Father. Oh, grant, I pray, that we would see how God delivered us and transferred us into the kingdom of his, your dear son. I pray this in in that son's name. Amen. This word redemption means liberation by, and you could say, sacrifice. Or you could say payment. Or you could say ransom. So that's the general definition of when you redeem something, you get it back. You take it from someone's possession back into your own possession, and you usually pay something or make some sacrifice or give some ransom, depending on what the situation is, to get it. Now, what would what would the ransom or the payment or the sacrifice be in this case. Here's the closest parallel in Paul back in Ephesians 1.7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So almost exactly the same, except here he mentions the price. Blood was shed by Jesus in order that redemption might be effective, might be properly paid, and the effect was then forgiveness of sins. Or here is another way of saying it, not blood, but life. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but but to serve and to give his life as a ransom, a redemption price, built on the same word as in Colossians and Ephesians. So, you could say blood, Christ shed his blood, or Christ gave his life because he shed enough blood that he died. 
Or here it is one more time in Matthew 26, 28. This is my blood, Jesus says at the Last Supper. This is my blood of the covenant, the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So forgiveness of sins comes by the payment or the price or the ransom of the blood of Jesus Christ. So let's go back and sketch it like this and see what's missing from the argument. So blood is shed by the Son of God. So much of it is shed that he gives his entire life. That blood shedding and life results in forgiveness of sins. That forgiveness then yields liberation, redemption, or deliverance, or transfer to kingdom. So the process of liberating us from the authority of darkness, delivering us from the authority of darkness, transferring us from the authority of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. In other words, the great act of salvation by which we are set free from damning satanic power and influence in our lives into the everlasting joy and freedom and life of the kingdom of God's Son, that happens through blood being shed by Jesus, his giving his life, that effects forgiveness, and that brings liberation. Now, what's not clear is how those two relationships work. How does the shedding of blood or the giving of life result in the forgiveness of sins? How does the fact that our sins are forgiven set us free from the authority of, of Satan? And Paul gloriously answers those two questions a few verses later in chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Get ready to be blown out of your seat by this most crystal clear description of the gospel miracle of what happens between the Father and the Son in order to liberate us from Satan and bring us to God. You who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and of course, we'll come back to this when we get there and deal with the details, but just get the big picture now. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, how did he do that? So I'm asking the question, how do you get from here to here? How did forgiveness happen? He did it by canceling the record of debt. So this, this was our debts. A record was kept of all our sins and all our trespasses. It is a very long record. John Piper's record is long. It is a thick book of damning attitudes, attitudes and, and words and behaviors that are sinful. So by canceling, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, how, how did he do that? How did he cancel that record? By, he did it, he set it aside by nailing it to the cross. Is that not a graphic picture 
of the death of Jesus in our place. In other words, my record of debt gets put into the hand of Jesus and a, a, a spike is nailed through my sin into his hand and he bears the consequences of my sin. So the way this works, to get from blood or life to forgiveness, you have Christ enduring my, or let's say our, punishment. This is called substitution. That's how this works. When he shed his blood and gave his life, my record of debts was canceled. It was paid. And therefore, what follows for me is no condemnation. All my sins forgiven. Now, how do you get from forgiveness to liberation? Why does Satan let go? just because I'm forgiven. How does that work? And here's the next phrase. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. So there we go. Authorities, the authority of darkness held us captive. He delivered us out of this authority. How? He disarmed the authorities. Put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is this disarming? In this context, what has he taken out of Satan's hand? What weapon has he taken out of Satan's hand? Well, let me ask it another way. What is the one weapon by which Satan can damn us to hell forever? There's only one. And that is unforgiven trespasses. If Satan can bring into the courtroom of God a brief, a legal brief, and open it, and this long record of debts is in his brief, and he can throw it on the table in front of the judge and say, There, he deserves to go to hell because of a thousand sins that he has done, then we're done for. But if that record of debt is canceled. Satan is empty-handed in the courtroom of God. He's as evil as he ever has been, but he can't accuse us of anything. It's over for Satan. Therefore, the way this works is you get from forgiveness to liberation by the, let's say, disarming of Satan. And what was he disarmed of? Disarming of, oh, how should we put it? Unforgiven sin. Satan has in his power now no unforgiven sins. Every sin, every sin is canceled. Satan looks around, where can I find something with which to accuse all these elect, all these children of God? And the answer is, you don't have anything. You are totally disarmed of the one thing 
that could damn us, namely our sins, because our, our sins have been canceled and nailed to the cross. So, we were delivered from the authority of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the Son of His love, and we were delivered by this process of redemption. At the heart of it, forgiveness of sins. And it goes like this. Christ shed his blood. So much blood, he died willingly. In dying, he became a substitute. And my debts were canceled as he bore the punishment of them. Therefore, I am forgiven all my sins. Therefore, the weapon of accusation that the devil could bring against me to send me to hell has been taken out of his hand. He is disarmed, and therefore I am set free from this authority. I have been delivered from it. I have been transferred now into the, the kingdom of the Son of his love. And there's only one more question to ask, and that is, who, who benefits from that? How can I be a part of this so that it can be said to be true of me? That's next time.